I think it's still spelled wrong, right? I think it's supposed to be an E there. Yeah, I didn't do it, but I did spell it wrong earlier. So apparently in the pseudonymous office, we don't know how to spell the word heroes. It's okay. Jesus forgives us. Hopefully you will too. So tonight we're starting a new series uh, called Heroes uh, of the Old Testament. So oftentimes the Old Testament sort of has this bad reputation of being a little weird and a little boring and, and things. And there are times that that's kind of true. There are, t- there are times that that's true about me too, that I'm pretty weird and boring, but hopefully you don't just like write me off and never want to hang out with me. Um, but there, uh, there are a lot of really cool things about, uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, and that's one of the things I want us to, to see over the next few weeks, that the Old Testament is not as irrelevant as a lot of people like to make it out to be. There's a lot of, some of the biggest things we get out of the Old Testament is who God is. The New Testament tells us a lot about what Jesus has done for us and how, and, and what the, uh, how the Gentiles are brought into the story of God and how uh, we can receive true salvation and, and all of these sorts of things. The Old Testament tells us a lot about the character of God and how much he cares for his people and how he brought people through things and ultimately le- that ultimately led up to Jesus coming, who was the Messiah who brought rescue. And so through looking at some of the lives uh, of the heroes of the Old Testament, we're going to see some of that, who God is, how he loves mankind, and how he loves you and I uh, enough to, to bring rescue and, and all those sorts of things. Have you ever been scared, but like of something you probably shouldn't be scared of? Anybody? Maybe, maybe. So uh, uh, <laughs> I had uh, an aunt, Aunt Lois. She was awesome. She died a few years back. Uh, she's an awesome lady. She uh, and my uncle Jack, who is not, neither of them were actually related to me. I have lots of aunts and uncles who are not actually related to me. That's just kind of how my family works for some reason. Uh, but they lived in the woods, uh, like most of my family, I guess. Uh, anyway, they lived in the woods by themselves, and she, um, she loved to hunt, and she loved to, to hunt turkeys, but she was terrified of feathers. She's terrified of feathers. And so she'd shoot the turkey. She'd call Uncle Jack, and Uncle Jack would go get the turkey and, and clean it and stuff. She was terrified uh, of feathers. I have uh, a few what I would call semi-rational fears. I'm afraid of heights, right? Mo- more specifically, I'm afraid of, like, unstable heights. Uh, and most people probably are a little nervous on that, but what I mean is, like, we have, a, we have this thing called a lift here at the church. So you get in it, this little, like, thing, and it, like, lifts you up into the, to the ozone, I guess. I don't know. Um, it's literally designed to do what it does, but like when you get up a little ways, it starts to like wiggle. It's not gonna, it's not gonna like move, go over unless you like get real crazy with it because it's literally designed to be that way. But my brain says, nope, nuh-uh. And so JJ's up there like, I can't do this, right? And so I don't get in that because I don't think you should. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I'm gonna say that when I was a kid, uh, I was afraid of the dark, Right? Uh, more specifically, I guess, things in the dark. I probably, uh, that's probably because my dad and my other uncle who wasn't really related to me, uh, Uncle Frank, um, were jerks. So when I was a kid, the house we lived in, uh, our heat source was this thing called uh, a, a wood-burning stove. And so it was this cast iron stove thing that you, it was kind of like a fireplace, but it was like this cast iron stove. I wish I had a picture of it. Where you'd like shove wood in it, and it would like heat up, and that was like the source of the heat for the house. I'm not that old. That's just how old the house was and how poor we were, okay? So that meant that somebody had to constantly bring wood in from outside to put in this thing. That was me often. And so 
before we all went to bed, we had to, you know, put more wood in there so that it would stay warm through the night, you know, in the wintertime, because uh, apparently it gets real cold in South Mississippi. Not true. Anyway, and so in the dark, I'd have to go out front and walk around to where the wood is, and probably about 50, 50% of the time, my dad and or my Uncle Jack would go out the back door and around, and every single time, like, I would know there's a 50-50 chance that one of them is about to jump out and scare me, and it, I, I would just be scared every time. Every single time. They'd jump out of the darkness and, like, yell or do something, and I'd be scared. Uh, and so I blame them for being afraid of uh, the dark. There's some other, like, crazy fears uh, in the world. You guys known anybody who's, like, afraid of something that's, like, legit kind of crazy? I have a few that I, I have uh, I want us to look at. Uh, so, Sean, hit me with the first one. I don't really know how to say these, but that fear of being tickled by feathers, like my Aunt Lois, she was afraid of being tickled by them, but more specifically, she just was afraid of them in general. Let's go to the next one. Yeah, fear of, fear of clowns. I have a, my best friend in the whole world, his name's Joe. Uh, we were roommates for only a semester in college. Uh, there's probably a good reason, but there was one time, he's terrified of clowns. I hid in our closet one time. He was going to class. I hid in our closet. He came back. I let him settle in. He'd been in there maybe a good 10 minutes. And then I, I let out a good... <laughs> out of the closet? <laughs> he almost peed himself. It was awesome. Right? <laughs> anyway, if you're afraid of clowns in here and I just said that and scared you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right, next. That movie, It, is crazy. Anyway, fear of laughter. You wouldn't be able to be around me because I'm constantly laughing, mostly at myself. All right, next one. Fear of bald people. Sorry, Ron. You're not really bald, though. You just keep it short. Just keep it short. All right, next. I think there's a couple more. Everybody has this, right? Yeah? Fear of school? I think it's more... For you guys, it's more of a hatred of school, not really afraid of school, but... All right, is there, is there a couple more, Sean? Let's do one more. I'm not going to make any jokes about how many of you actually took a shower today, but uh, is that it? We have two more? One more? I don't know how many more. All right, let's keep going. Fear of everything. Just all the things. You're afraid of everything? All right. That's it? Cool. So... Some of those, most of those, all of those, uh, on some level, are pretty absurd. But there are these like irrational fears. You, I mean, you just can't help it. And you, there's probably something, probably not quite as that crazy, but there's something in your life that you might be afraid of. There's just like, I don't really understand why. Like I, I don't know. Some of the things that I'm afraid of in life, I don't know. And in my mind, I like try to conquer it, and then whenever I get there, I almost pee myself. And I just can't. I can't do it. Right? Like there's just this irrational fear. But there are there are rational fears. Uh, as well, and we're not going to dive too far into that. But we all we all struggle with stuff. We're all afraid of uh, of certain things, um, and not necessarily afraid of in the sense of like screaming or like losing your junk or that kind of thing. But just like that deep down, almost painful fear of something. For some people, that would be public speaking, like I'm doing now. Uh, believe it or not, that actually used to be me. Um, there are, the, there are these things, and then there's, there's like genuinely bad things that happen in life that, inspire, that, that bring with it fear 
or pain and all these kinds of things. There are just there are lots of moments like that throughout life, either in your probably in your life or maybe in someone you know closely, their life. Joseph in the Old Testament, his life was filled with these moments that brought on fear that were terrible. I'm not going to read like the story of Joseph tonight. I'm just going to tell you the story because it's a lot of chapters, but you should write this down and go back and read it for yourself. Genesis chapters 37 through 46. Genesis 37 through 46. Some really cool stuff. I'm going to hit the highlights, but, but you should go and read, read the details. Um, Joseph's life um, is one that's filled with those, like I said, those moments that seem hopeless, that seem just ridiculous and terrible. But God continually brought Joseph up out of those moments. So when we find Joseph, uh, as, we're, as you're reading through Genesis, you find Joseph. He's a little boy. He's, he's actually a teenager. And so his, uh, his dad, Jacob, uh, has lots of sons. And Joseph is his favorite son. Parents aren't supposed to have favorites. They do. Um, but, uh, and if you're a parent in the room, don't like look at the kid because they may or may not actually be your favorite. Sorry. Um, anyway, so Joseph was his favorite and all the other siblings knew it. How many of you guys like have lots of brothers and sisters or like, yeah, so like I had, I have not had, I have, um, two sisters and a brother and I was the favorite. Um, and so everybody else knows that, uh, and that was the situation. Not only that, but Joseph was really close to God, and it wasn't that God had a favorite because God doesn't, he legitimately doesn't do that, but because he was close to God, and he, he and God just had a better relationship, and there was this dream that Joseph had that um, basically the interpretation of the dream was that at some point in their lives, all of the brothers would bow down before Joseph. Now, if you're, one of your siblings came up to you and said, hey, I had a dream from God that one day you're going to bow down in front of me, right? You'd want to punch him square in the nose, right? <laughs> because I would, I would totally punch him square in the nose, like, yeah, we'll see, bud. We'll see. We'll see. First, you're going to bow, <laughs> right? Um, and so th- this builds this, like, jealousy and rage in them to the point that they legitimately talk about killing Joseph. Like, le- legitimately talk about killing Joseph. Thankfully, one of his older brothers uh, named Reuben uh, had the sense to say, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's just sell him off as a slave. Because that's a better plan, right? It's totally a better plan. Don't kill him, just, just make him a slave. It's cool. He can handle that. He's only, you know, 16. It's cool. Um, and so they do. There's this, there's this group of uh, Ishmaelites on their way to uh, Egypt, and Joseph's brothers sell him off to be a slave. And then they go back and tell their dad, they, they, they kill a, a goat or a sheep or something, I don't know, and like take the blood. Their dad, uh, Jacob, was, was pretty much blind at this point in life, and so they bring it in. Um, oh, no, the coat. They kill, they kill a sheep, take the blood, put it on the, uh, the colorful coat that uh, Jacob had made for Joseph as because he was like giving him gifts and stuff, because he was his favorite. So they take this coat, it was clearly uh, Joseph's, back to Jacob, and say that he had died. And so they, they lie to their dad, 
told him that Joseph had died, and they had, but they had actually sold him off into slavery, and he was on his way to Egypt. And so this point in Joseph's life, he finds himself in a situation that no one should ever, ever find themselves in. But he was scared. He was literally in slavery, and he was uncertain of his future. He had no clue. I mean, we're all technically uncertain of our future. You don't know what tomorrow holds. But literally, you have an idea of what happens tomorrow for you. Joseph had no idea. All he knew is he was, he was with this group of people who now legally owned him to do whatever they would like for him to do on his way to Egypt as a teenager. Can you imagine that? I hope not. I hope you can't imagine that. But Joseph, in this moment where he's terrified and uncertain of his future, where does he run? No, he doesn't physically run. But emotionally and spiritually, where does he run? He runs to God. He keeps his faith in God because he knows that God is in control and that God loves him. And so fast forward a little bit. Joseph ends up, through a series of events, finding himself uh, being a servant and a guy named Potiphar in his house. And so much so, and Joseph does such a good job and finds such favor with Potiphar that he's actually like the head servant in the house, like to the point that there was no one in the house more powerful than him except Potiphar. Right? So Joseph has found himself, in, in, though he's not with his family where he'd like to be, with his dad where he'd like to be and that sort of thing, God's given him favor. God's given him the ability to earn favor with Potiphar and all of these things. And he finds himself in a pretty, pretty positive situation out of an extremely terrible situation. An extremely terrible situation. But things take a turn. So Potiphar has a wife. It's, it tells it. It literally says this uh, in one of the verses that Joseph was, uh, was a good-looking dude. Like he was a handsome, attractive guy that all the ladies would like to stand next to, right? Like, he was, he was a good-looking dude. It doesn't say that last part, but it does say, like, he was, he was handsome in appearance. Uh, and so Potiphar's wife, she, she wanted Joseph. She just did. And so it says, for several days, she tried to convince Joseph to sleep with her. For, like, several days and weeks, she tried, and he constantly refused, and he, and he constantly you know, pushed her away and, and, and said no. Well, there came, this, there came this one day that he found himself in a room alone with her, nobody else in the house at all. And she doesn't just ask him this time, she tries. And, and Joseph, instead of giving in or just saying no or going no, Right? Uh, that, you know, like sometimes we find ourselves in those situations where you know you shouldn't be doing the thing and you're like, no, I shouldn't do this thing. But then you like still do it. Um, that's like every day of my life feels like. Uh, anyway, he, he runs. He like literally physically runs away from her. But he dropped his, his cloak on the way out. Potiphar's wife, being a pretty terrible person, if you could g- gather at this point, um, she takes the cloak, goes to her husband Potiphar, lies and says that Joseph was the one that was trying to advance on her. And so then Potiphar, believing his wife over Joseph, throws him in jail. So here's Joseph, 
once again, in a terrible situation, not by his own choosing, right? There are times that we find ourselves in situations in life that are terrible and, and like maybe people don't like us or maybe people find themselves in jail and it's all because of choices that they've made. It's all because of circumstances they've put themselves in. But so far in this story, Joseph, not perfect, not, that's not what I'm trying to pitch here, but in, in both of these scenarios that, uh, that are terrible that Joseph has found himself in were no fault of his own, directly, right? Because he was trying to do the right thing. He was trying not to sleep with his, his boss's wife, right? He was trying to run away, literally run away from the temptation and the sin of doing that, but yet he still found himself in prison, one of the things I want you to, to see here, though, that Joseph is a literal example of how we're supposed to treat sin in our lives. Um, when you find yourself at a point uh, of, of temptation or any of those kinds of things, this, the word repent, you guys heard this word repent before? This means yes? This means no. Even if you've like not shown up to church ever, if this is like your first time in church, I'm excited you're here. Uh, but being in the South, you've probably heard the word repent. Maybe not in the best of situations, but you've heard the word repent, right? So this word, the literal idea that this word conveys is that you turn and run away as fast as you can, as hard as you can from whatever it is, right? And so Joseph, a literal example of how we're supposed to, to treat sin in our lives. Whenever we have some sort of sin that constantly tempts us and drags us in, the way we're supposed to treat that is we're supposed to turn and run as hard and fast as we can away from that thing. And Joseph knew that because he was close to God. He knew that what the temptation before him was, was a temptation that was going to lead to uh, a path that would have actually been far worse than him being thrown in jail. He probably would have been uh, executed had that actually happened. But God protected him and allowed him to only be thrown in jail and not be executed. So because of his relationship with God and his faithfulness to God, he continually ran away from temptation and, and, and made it, found himself moving away from the things he was not supposed to be doing, but still he found himself in prison at this point. And so he spent some time in prison. And while he's in prison, there's a couple of guys uh, who wind up in prison with him. There's a baker and then a cupbearer for the pharaoh, so like the king of Egypt, right? You guys know what pharaoh is, right? This means yes, this means no, right? Um, they had been thrown in there. I forget the exact reasons now, but they had been thrown in there, and they had these uh, dreams. Joseph, previously in the story, remember he was kind of akin to dreams and stuff, and so God had given him the ability to be able to interpret dreams. Not all specific, not like every dream you ever could have, like has like a specific meaning and he could interpret it and that kind of thing. It's not like going to like one of those like people with a crystal ball and that kind of thing. That's not what this is, right? But God give, gave him wisdom and discernment in these key moments to be able to help Joseph. And so these, these guys have these dreams and Joseph interprets them and they, and they come true. And so these, these guys end up going out of, uh, the, the interpretation of the dreams was that one of them was going to get out of prison. He was going to be restored back into his position in Pharaoh's uh, court and things were going to go well for him. The other one, that he was going to be brought back out uh, of prison and executed. And those things came to pass. And so knowing that Joseph could interpret dreams, um, 
I forget which one of those is. I'm sorry that I'm blanking on this. I think it was the bread, the bread guy. I can't remember which one it is now. Read it for yourself. You'll find out. Um, he, uh, he hears that the Pharaoh has had dreams. And the Pharaoh is trying to, to understand what those dreams mean. And the Pharaoh's had um, like uh, sorcerers and, and, and all these, like the crystal ball people and all those kinds of stuff. He's actually had all of them come and try and give interpretations of these dreams. And all of them, all of them were wrong. None of them would come true. None of them, none of them could in, actually interpret the dream the way it was supposed to be interpreted. But then uh, this guy who had been in prison with Joseph went, hey, there's this guy in prison, as weird as it sounds, who interprets dreams. He interpreted a dream for me, and it actually came true. And so Pharaoh said, hey, what do I have to lose? I can just throw this guy back in prison or kill him. Like, it doesn't matter to me. and bring him in here. And so here Joseph is, not at home with his family, not in a place of power in Potiphar's house, but a prisoner brought before the most powerful man in the land and arguably the whole region, actually, at this time in history. And the guy tells him the dream that he has. Instead of backing away in fear and not trying or any of that kind of stuff, uh, he stands there with confidence and boldness and interprets this dream. And so the dream uh, is pretty weird. It's this dream where there are these, like, uh, really... Um, like fat calves and uh, like ears of corn and stuff like coming up out of the ground and like out of this like like water and stuff and then um, there are these other cow, uh, cows that come up and like consume all of that and but they're like real skinny and like really bad and then the corn like all withers and goes away uh, and, the, and the, there are specific numbers of seven and seven and so the interpretation that Joseph gave was that there were going to be seven years of plenty for, for animals and crops. And then there were going to be seven years of absolute famine. That all the animals would wither and all of the crops would go away and you wouldn't be able to produce anything in the land and there would be famine. Nothing new would be produced. And so the plan was that for the seven years, they should store up and save the good stuff, still you know eat what they need to eat, but don't eat in abundance and store all of these things up so when the seven years of famine came, I didn't put this on do not disturb. Hey, I met my goal. Anyway, um, they would have plenty of food to be able to get them through those years of famine. And so Pharaoh, believing him, uh, ended up putting Joseph, Joseph earned favor uh, with Pharaoh and put Joseph basically second in command again. Now Joseph now finds himself second in command of all of Egypt. And he's in charge specifically of storing up all of this food to make sure that in the years of famine that they'll have plenty. And whenever the years of famine do come, as he predicted, he's also in charge of the distribution of all of that to make sure that there's enough to go around for everyone, but they're not giving out so much that, that they can maintain uh, the, uh, having enough for seven whole years. And so in this time, it's not just Egypt that's in famine. Actually, Israel, where Joseph was from, uh, was in famine as well. And so Joseph one day is working by where they have all their uh, the grain stored and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he's working, and he looks up, and he sees his brothers. The last time Joseph saw his brothers, he was on a cart in chains being drug away from his family and into slavery because his brothers had put him there. Can you imagine the feelings 
that would well up inside of you if you were in Joseph's spot, right? The last time you had seen your siblings, they sold you into slavery. And you had to be a slave for years. You, you had finally worked your way up into a position and then you went into prison and you had been in prison for a long time and then here you are. The second most powerful guy in the region, really. But still, knowing that they sold you into slavery. Once again, because I'm not perfect, I'd probably just walk up and start decking all of them. I'd just like, your turn, your turn, your turn. You guys suck. You're the worst, right? Like that would just be me because I'm human and I fail a lot. But that's not what Joseph does. Now, remember, it's been a long time since they've seen each other. Joseph remembers them, but they have no clue what he looks like. And he, was, he was so young whenever they sold him off. And so he has several conversations with them, knowing who they are, and they had no clue who he was. And guess what they did? When they came before Joseph, what do you think they did? They bowed before him. They bowed before him and begged for food. They were coming to find food because they were starving. Their families, their entire nation was starving to death. And so they came and they were bowing before Joseph, their little brother they had sold into slavery, not knowing it yet, and begging for food. And so there, there's, there's lots of cool stuff, and I want, you to re, I want you to read. I'm specifically leaving some of this out because I want you to go and read some of the details. You're getting the important stuff here, but there's some cool stuff here, the exchange that happens between them and how Joseph ends up forgiving them. And ultimately, he ends up having his entire family, his, dad, his father included, brought over to Egypt to live with him long enough to get through the famine and all that kind of stuff. And so... In this whole story, though, every single time Joseph found himself in a good situation, he was faithful to God. Every time Joseph found himself in a terrible situation that no one should ever have to experience, he was faithful to God. Because here's one of the things I want you to understand in this story. I'm going to teach you a theological term, okay? God is sovereign. I want you to, to, like, there's a lot of weird interpretations of this word, and so I'm going to give you what I, I know the Bible says and not what theologians have uh, talked about for millennia uh, on this particular subject. <clears throat> In this context, God did not make Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. God did not make Potiphar throw Joseph into prison. God didn't make anyone do that. All of those people chose evil all on their own. However, God, honoring Joseph's faithfulness, continually brought Joseph comfort and peace in those moments of pain and fear and constantly brought rescue in those moments of lostness. And so as, as Joseph remained faithful, God didn't force any of it to happen, but God constantly redeemed the terrible and brought beautiful things and good things out of these bad situations. You see, since the, the very beginning, I'm stumbling and like bobbling words here, but since the very beginning of time, that's who God has been. Adam and Eve sinned, brought evil into the world, and since that moment, God has been focused on 
and bent toward bringing rescue and salvation to all mankind. And you see that through Joseph's life. Now, I'm not saying that every time someone finds themselves in a really terrible situation that no one should find themselves in, that God's going to bring them out of that. There, are, there is this overarching story and theme involved in Joseph's life here. So Joseph was put in the position, God ended up working out these evil, terrible moments in his life to put Joseph in a position that he could save his family and the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel would become God's chosen people. And so God still brought good and beauty, not that that was the original plan and not that God made it happen that way, but God still used it to fulfill his overarching plan of bringing about a people of God to then bring Jesus out of that people, because Jesus was Jewish, right? Um, To be able to send the Messiah and to bring rescue. Do you see just a little glimpse of this big theme in the Bible that from the beginning... God was going to bring rescue, who was Jesus. He was going to do that through the nation of Israel. And so even though bad things, not by God's doing, happened to Joseph, God still brought about things in Joseph's life to put him in a position where he could rescue the nation of Israel so that he could carry out his plan to bring Jesus. Isn't that cool? Even in our darkest times, God wants to bring peace and comfort to you and God wants to bring rescue. Not all of it is not always is rescue physical or even emotional. But there's always spiritual rescue. Always. And that's through Jesus. And so that's that's why it was important that Joseph end up where he did. Because if that hadn't happened and the nation of Israel had died off, then Jesus couldn't have come as he had been predicted. Jesus couldn't have come the way that he did. Now God still could have worked a plan, but this is how God chose to work this plan. And that rescue that Jesus brings and brought was through a moment of evil and terrible choices being brought upon him, not by anything of his own. So Jesus died on a cross. One of What we're told is one of the most gruesome, painful ways to die ever. He died on a cross Not because he had done something wrong, but he hung on a cross that criminals would be uh, hung on to become our sin and to take on our punishment so that if we put our faith in him, like Joseph put his faith in God, that there would be spiritual rescue, that we wouldn't have to spend eternity paying for our sins in hell, but we could live in heaven free from our sins if we put our faith in Jesus. So even way back here in Genesis, in the story of Joseph, it's all pointing toward Jesus. And in your life, in the moments, maybe tonight, that there's pain and there's struggle and there's evil, whether by your doing or outside circumstances, God wants to bring rescue. Again, doesn't always mean that it's going to be emotional rescue or physical rescue. I hope it is. But there is spiritual rescue, which is far greater than anything that could be offered in this world. But we remain faithful. And if you're not a Christian, I hope that you can begin to see that and that you can, you can give your life to Jesus. You can put your faith and trust in him and then he could, could bring you that spiritual rescue. And one of the cool things that we see in the New Testament, whenever you put your faith in Jesus, confess your sins to him, the Holy Spirit comes and guides us and comforts us. The Holy Spirit's one one of his Holy Spirit, he's not plural. Holy Spirit, one of his main roles 
in relationship with us is to bring comfort, to bring guidance, and to help us to understand God's word. So if you're here tonight and you're in a time of struggle, you're in a time of pain, you need somebody to talk to, the adult leaders in the room, myself, we're here for you. If you're at a place and you need to talk about Jesus, maybe you're trying to figure out what all this Jesus thing uh, stuff is about, or maybe you get it for the first time that Jesus died for you and wants you to confess your sins and believe in him, please come talk to one of us, or maybe you have a good Christian friend that you came with. Talk to them as well. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into small groups. Father, I, I thank you that you, love, that you love humans so much, that you work every situation to eventually bring out good and rescue. Not always here on earth, but in one way or another. Lord, in your sovereignty, you guide us and you comfort us. So Holy Spirit, I ask in this room now, and those who, those who know you and who are Christians, that you would bring comfort, peace, and wisdom and direction. And anyone in the room who uh, is not a Christian, that maybe for the first time that you would, uh, they would begin to feel you tugging on their hearts to know that there is a place of refuge when they need somewhere to run, that it's to you. And that you bring comfort and rescue. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, if it's your first time with us um, and you came with a friend, you can go to a small group with them if you are uh, the same gender.